0: This show may contain my tips for making money on Bitcoin. It won't. It also may contain explicit language, and it really might. It's Wednesday, November 29th, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. By now, you know the cow. Which isn't a cow, but a castrated male bovine. Still, the media had to make cow puns because there was no other way to steer into proper puns about this large, large bovine named Nickers. Rather large steer, that Nickers. Nickers was made to seem much larger by the fact that his farmer surrounded him with teeny, tiny, much younger cows of a different breed. Everyone saw that picture and said, oh, my God, look at the size of that cow. What they should have said was, oh, my God, look at the smallish size of all those other cows. Nickers is six foot four, described as almost the size of Michael Jordan. I get the bull to bull comparison. But then Nickers' weight, 3000 pounds, is literally the combined weights of Jordan Pippen, Luke Longley, Bill Wennington, Dennis Rodman, and like eight or nine Steve Kerr's. This is something that to me is very odd and very illustrative about human cognition when it comes to stories of cows that we should be eating but aren't. Cows, or as I call them, pre-food, exist mostly for human consumption, and still we talk about them when we actually look at them every once in a while as animals or things with souls or at least beautiful eyes. We look at them a little bit differently and talk about them a little bit differently. We say stupid things like this. A cow named Nickers may be the largest steer in Australia. No, if it's a steer, it can't be a cow. Steer, male bovine. Cow, female bovine. The utterly enormous Holstein Friesian stands 6 feet 4 inches tall and weighs 1.4 tons. Holy cow! Again, utterly... You tried for the pun, steers don't have udders. This wasn't exactly what I'm getting at though with how stupid we are when we think about cows every once in a while as something other than food. In this case, it was the size of the cow that made him stand out. But usually what happens is that a cow escapes. And especially in my city, in New York City, this happens like once every other year. A cow escapes and it becomes a story. And we can't quite believe that thing that was supposed to wind up on our dish is now cavorting on a street or in a park. Holy cow. No, you're not seeing things. There really was a cow running loose in Jamaica, Queens. That story was the rare one where the slaughterhouse that was to take possession of the cow still insisted on doing so, saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, 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 I know he was running up Utopia Parkway. This guy is still going to be dinner. But more usual is this story of a cow that got loose in a big Brooklyn park and was given a reprieve. An animal sanctuary took in this particular bull, which inspired animal activist Mary Beth Arts to say this.
1: Yeah, right? and I, we don't know where he came from. If somebody dumped him here, I don't know the backstory, but it's kind of an odd place for- for a bull to be roaming around, oh, yes. um, so we don't know where he came from, but um, but he's, he's gonna, going to he's going to have the best life ever.
0: Now I bet Mary Beth Arts, as an animal activist, does not eat cows, so at least she is being consistent. But the basic premise of news coverage of animals that proclaim themselves as sentient or frisky or large or something other than entree is, of course, we want freedom for these guys who we insist on calling cows, even though in every case, I think they were bulls. And then after words voiced by the anchor or the reporter about happily living out his days on a farm, the news cuts to a Hardee's commercial. Logically speaking, everyone who has a smile in their hearts when they find out that the cow will live in a sanctuary on a farm, every one of those people should fall into one of two categories. Vegetarians or people who don't realize that cows are what a hamburger is. And yet, 98% 98% of Americans are not vegetarians. Yet apparently 98% of TV viewers want those cows not to be turned into meat. And this is why I applaud one group, one intellectually consistent group, and they are the Major League Eaters, the competitive eating organization. They put out a press release today offering to eat Nickers the cow. And that is exactly what Nickers is for. Major League Eating champion Joey Chestnut Ate a record 74 hot dogs this 4th of July. Those are beef hot dogs. I guess they go down easier if you don't give the hot dogs names like Knickers. But Knickers and those of his ilk are exactly what all that food is. On the show today, Michael Cohen pleads to another charge, and Donald Trump says, please pay no attention to that man. But first, Cree 2 is the sequel to the reboot to the most successful sports franchise in the history of cinema. As with Rocky IV, Creed II sees a member of the Creed family fighting a giant Russian named Drago. Will the crushing blows of the father rain on to the sons? Well, yes, of course they will. You've probably seen the trailer. Creed II director Stephen Caple Jr., who is himself a sequel when you think about it, is up next. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people. And you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career. Where it got to the desk of Barack Obama and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort. And just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in, he could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter, or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview, it was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of the Jordan Harbinger show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H A. Are like the first three letters in hard B I N G E as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Creed 2 is the sequel to, of course, Creed 1, the reimagining of perhaps the most iconic American sports film franchise. And maybe I'm damning Rocky with faint praise because it goes so far beyond that. What Creed did, directed by Ryan Kugler, was reinvent and sort of reposition the story in a different milieu, in fact, a a hip-hop culture-centric milieu. And what Creed Two does is take that story and expand on it. The director of this movie is Stephen Caple Jr. He's with me now. Stephen, congratulations. This was a fun, exciting movie.
1: Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate it, man. I'm excited to be here and talk about it.
0: So, this is, if you direct a comic book movie, you have to admit to being a comic book fan, but uh describe <laughs> your Rocky fandom, and who's your favorite Rocky villain?
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I love the question right off the back. Uh, one, it feels like this also is a comic book at times, mm-hmm. The Rocky franchise, because it's gone for so long, man. Um, But... Favorite Rocky movie is Rocky 1. Favorite villain is uh, definitely the new villain, man, Victor Drago. What? <laughs> Victor Drago, <laughs> the son the son of Ivan Drago, who whatever yes. he
0: hits, he destroys. Dolph Lundgren, who, of course, played Ivan Drago in Rocky 4 and is back. He, from what I understand, is this brilliant guy with advanced degrees in science. Mm-hmm. Was he happy to play this cartoonish villain again?
1: Um, he he was definitely concerned. And when he got the script and when he saw what the character was, that's when he really got excited. Because um, he, he felt like this is his moment. He felt like I, I could finally do a role that's dramatic. I could finally do a role that has somewhat of a layer. Like I don't have to walk around like a cardboard you know, box just yelling and, and, and telling people I'm going to break them. Um, there's a reason behind me wanting to break people. And he really opened up in this film, I think. Um, he really gave me his all you know, trying to get there, and now learning Russian, and he had way more lines than the first one. Um, So, yeah, he's like, he was really stoked about having this opportunity, and that excited me because I felt like I also had opportunity too. You know, I was like, I can use these guys, the Dragos, because Creed has been established, Rocky's been established, now I'm bringing back the Dragos, so maybe I could put my voice in this. Maybe I could do something different with these guys that haven't been done before.
0: Well, I do think also, if you think about it, all the villains are supposed to play on an anxiety that we have. So I think the first Rocky was maybe the f- overly flashy athlete, you know, the uh, the f- mm-hmm. maybe newly emboldened black, rich, free agent that probably scared, even if, even if Stallone didn't know exactly what he was playing with, it probably scared some of yeah. white America. And then Clubber mm-hmm. also plays on that racial anxiety. But of course, then the Cold War comes in with Ivan Dra- Drago. So I was wondering if in the new movies or if in your movie – do you think you're playing with an anxiety at all?
1: Uh, I mean, in, in a way, yes. Um, obviously, it deals with more so the history and, and the ghost, you know, the ghostly past, more than mm. um, these these guys himself. We definitely didn't make any sort of. Statement against, you know, Russia, you know, in a way that 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 was like one of the things that I was afraid of tapping into because I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a movie about humans and, 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 and redemption and, and history, like I was saying.
0: Because if people if people forget, Ivan Drago killed Apollo, who is Apollo Adonis Creed. Creed's yeah. father. And so that is that is set there in the old Rocky universe and now it's re- resurrected and explored in this new movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. in, in a slightly different way. But, yes, I think we definitely wanted to, to bring that back. Uh, Sly had the idea after Creed 1 um, that he wanted to bring back the Drago's and then I was brought in and helped with some of the development, you know, and how we got there.
0: Yeah. So the guy who plays Drago, I, here's the thing. Isn't Creed fighting way out of weight class? It seems like he's giving uh, up 60 pounds to yeah. this guy.
1: <laughs> this guy, no, he's not actually. He's not 60. I think there's like 20 pounds. Huh. I think uh, Flo ended up being 225. Oh, Jesus. And then Mike B got up to 200, 202, 202 something around there. So, yes, he is technically. He'll be in a, a different class, a uh, different heavyweight class. Um, but uh, for the film-wise, they looked pretty big, but Florian at first, now when you see him in interviews, Florian's natural weight, and when he goes up, he's about 245, 250, and he's like 6'4". Mike is like skinny because he just came off another film, and he's like a buck. (laughs) He's so skinny. He lost so much weight. Now I'm like, no one's ever going to believe this. And so they're posting up photos now trying to show people that, hey, I was bigger, you know, during the process. Uh, but not it'll be in the heavyweights heavyweight class.
0: Well, I really wanted to ask about photographing the fights. Um is mm-hmm. there a boot camp that you have to go to or I guess homework that's assigned where I don't know, someone says beyond just watching every rocky fight, here are some other great fights and note fights, the innovation, you know? note mm-hmm. that how we're going to do it. Like how do you how do you prep yeah. for that?
1: We do a lot, man. You go through, um, we, we were looking at a lot of paintings and stuff like that from mm-hmm. back in the day, 20s and 30s, and how they portrayed boxing because the lighting was different. So we did top lighting so that way, you know, around the edges of the muscles and stuff like that, there's nice little shadows and indications. Yeah. I watched uh, Bloodsport, you know what I mean, with yep. Van Damme. I watched all those, like, karate flicks. I watched real street fights. Um, a lot of boxing films. <laughs> Ali. Uh, Cinderella Man, there's a few that got in a ring with you, yeah. but then there's also a few, only a few like Raging Bull that got really poetic with it. You right. know what I mean? And, and the usage of slow motion and having characters talk to each other and taunt. So you implement those kind of films with just like, you know, the Rocky formula. You know, and then you can find those moments where you could do something different. Like if you're doing a POV shot, you know, which is a, you know, perspective shot, a point of view shot uh, from one of the characters. Um, you know, finding ways to move the camera when the camera shakes or something like that. You just find those moments, um, which is huge.
0: So there is one shot, actually, it's, it's, um, I think you cut to it two times, maybe three times. And it is uh, your antagonist, Drago, the, the young Drago wailing yeah. away at our hero but it is from the perspective uh, of our hero it's oh, clear yeah. to me so all you see he's centered on the frame he's throwing haymakers and my question is i i suppose there are a couple of ways to do that and i know there's a rigging where you can actually attach a camera to the actor but mm-hmm. it also does seem like he's throwing punches that if you track the trajectory they should be hitting the camera so how does yeah. <laughs> tell me about that specific shot i was fascinated
1: Michael Heathcote, our camera operator, got hurt, man. Wow. Yeah, hurt. <laughs> May he rest in peace, though. <laughs> no. Uh, no, he, um, yeah, he took a lot of fe- <laughs> he took a lot of hits. I'm so sorry. I should be laughing at this. I love him. He's my brother. Uh, but I just remember his face when we're like we're about to do the POV shots again. He's like, oh shoot. <laughs> um, now he's great with it, man. He was in the ring. Uh, we did not attach it to his hands. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted him to be able to pull his hands back, mm-hmm. um, Drago, yeah. and I want you to be able to see it coming. So like if we were attached to his hands, you would only get so much of his fist. And um, there's moments where, the, the, where he would throw a jab and it'll go directly into lens and we'll go to black and come out really quick. So there's even moments where we cut the black in that thing. Um, but ultimately, he was following the punches and, and, and he memorized the entire choreography for each round, especially when we're trying to do tricky camera angles. And so he knew when the punches were coming, but he caught he caught a few, man. He yep. caught a few, um, especially the jabs, um, which we stopped doing around the third time we tried it. <laughs> the jabs is hard to control. like it's, it's hard to like measure out how close you are to the lens, whereas the hooks, you kind of just swing with them. Um, so, yeah, it was a learning experience.
0: <laughs> so— As you're directing this movie, this is kind of an unusual situation in that Stallone's there, not only on set every day, so he has a writing credit on this movie. He, Uh of course, created the characters. So the equivalent would be i don't know directing a bond movie with with sean connery there you know and also (laughs) alfred broccoli and probably also ian fleming right there on staff so Mm -hmm. did stallone ever say you know back when we did this in 76 our technique was our technique go ahead
1: all the time all the time oh but it's cool though because like it's 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 it brings a different energy to set because like again like I'm I'm a fan so like we we'll sit around like it's a campfire you know and he'll get in a ring and he'll start hoo 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 and he'll walk to one side and go hoo, hoo to the other and we're we'll just watching like okay that's cool that could work or if it doesn't like we just try it anyways that's kind of like our model like we just let's try it you know we we don't, it doesn't hurt to try it. But he he definitely knows how to tell a story with a fight.
0: Well, I mean, Rocky won, which I don't know if people realize, ends technically with Rocky losing a split decision, is Mm -hmm. incredible. The fact that, I guess the fact that that was the climax, and even though he lost the fight, it seemed climactic because of the emotion. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. that that's a testimony to storytelling.
1: Exactly. And that's the same scenario with Creed one, right? He mm-hmm. definitely loses on decision and you felt like it was a victory. Um same, same formula, man. Sly knows what works.
0: Do you think do you get the sense that your guy, your your hero, Michael B. Jordan, the actor, is on his way to becoming, I mean, I don't know, Paul Newman-esque, like like more than big. Like he's big now, but the kind of a-list, will never be able to get him, uh, you know, superstar that we rarely see or comes around once in a generation?
1: I feel like he might be. It's weird to say because I was just with him last night just eating dinner. He's just regular old Mike, man. But, uh, yeah, like, he, he has a special something. This film being his first sequel um it, it it kind of like it, we you seen the movie so it's like a handoff completely you know it's like it's your franchise now you know um and that's something that's kind of embedded within the film you know It's something that we all talked about when developing the script sly and mike and us so um as he carries it on carries the torch um i think so man i think yeah. he's going to be that 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 guy you know
0: Also, I would say that like think about the great action stars and it's not that Stallone's not a good actor. I love scenes in Copland and so forth. Uh And, um, you know, I wouldn't put Schwarzenegger in that category. (laughs) But think about the great action stars, the ones who can really do action. You don't feel like there's a step down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Michael B. Jordan is absolutely a great action star but then think mm-hmm. about the great emotive dramatic stars who maybe can do a little action but they usually get some help like when Robert Downey's Iron Man um, he's mostly mm-hmm. in a suit and not you know jumping around yeah. like it's really really rare. Would Will Smith be in that category? That's the one I'm thinking of like sorry to make, yeah. uh, sorry to do the thing with the NBA draft where the black guys only get compared to the black guys but no. seriously that is the only one I'm thinking of.
1: But, yeah Will Smith Um, obviously the Denzel's. Yeah. Um There's some people who, like, I feel like Jamie's an amazing actor. I'm not sure if he fully pulled off an action movie yet, you know? Yeah. Um, collateral kind of, but it was more dramatic. I really love Collateral. Sorry, I'm a fan geek, so I can go through this all day. Christian Bale. Christian yeah. Bale, I think, is a talented actor. Yeah. Um, and he and 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 like <laughs> Mr. Batman, Jordan, he
0: could uh, starve himself down. Yeah.
1: yeah, he can starve himself <laughs> down. He can gain weight. I'm interested in him gaining weight. Um, but I'm just thinking about actors who who bounce back and forth. And I think he's yeah. I think he's one of the, one of the few.
0: Yeah. And um, the other thing that I would say about this movie is that, well, I guess like the first Rocky, the the texture in between the fight, the emotional family moments are I think consciously, even though you could make the case that uh, Adonis Creed should be extremely rich and living large, it's all really small and it's all really personal and it's all interrelated and it makes it seem real. And my question to you is, is there a tonal challenge to that? To make moments uh, with the birth of a baby play as real as boxing scenes that have some over-the-top elements to it?
1: No, completely, man. Um, I mean, you tie that even with the how dramatic and and we go a little, this is slightly dark in this movie, and finding those moments of levity as well. You know, yes. um, so people can feel good and have these moments. But yeah, everyone's kind of the uh, vulnerable in this film. Which brings it to this certain kind of groundedness. You know what I mean? It's not like it's just he's a superstar and that's it and we kind of roll with it and it's just a fight after fight. We definitely had like a cheese meter on set, which we called it, um, <laughs> where Dolph and I and Mike and us, we would always check in with this meter. You know, like, was it too cheesy or was it too not? You know, uh-huh. and that's legit what we called it. Uh, Tessa, we never had that scenario. Tessa's on point every single time. She's, yeah. what a, she's cool. She got the character. But when we're dealing with something like Adonis who has these scenes where he's yelling or you know what I mean I'm getting very aggressive or calling someone out you want to make sure he doesn't turn into Killmonger as he would say you know he's trying to find a balance of being Adonis Creed and the same with Dolph um, and Florian you know it's like we are the bad guys we get it um, we're Russian we get it mm-hmm. but how do we not step into the moment like alright that's a cliche super harsh stereotype or you know there is no groundedness to him there is no um, you know genuine person um, so there's definitely scenes and moments that are on the editing floor that just didn't fit, you know? So tell me about
0: um, the use of the iconic Rocky theme. Not going to fly now, but the chimes. Yep. Bill Conti. Bill
1: right. Conti one. Yep.
0: So you can't uh-huh. overuse that. In fact, I would guess that the rule is you can only use it once and at a big moment. Did you feel like you had to one save time. that? For,
1: yeah, right? One time. That's it. That's all you now. <laughs> no, it's, it's hard because there's a balance of um, – there's a Rocky theme, there's an Adrian theme, there's a, like the I of the Tiger theme, like there's, uh, there's a lot. Um, so with this particular film, you know, with a movie like this, you play those different themes slower and faster or, you know, you add uh, some synth to it to make them different. But when you go to the full-on, that's what we call it, the full-on Bill Conti with mm-hmm. the live instruments, the orchestra, you have to save that moment. Um, and obviously, like, that's one thing that they talk about early on. And we have quite a few uplifting moments. <laughs> yeah. And you, know, you got to find when that moment is and the right time to get the people, you know, going, obviously.
0: Creed 2 is in theaters now. The director is Stephen Capel. And I don't want to, Junior, I don't want to tell you if Creed wins at the end, but uh, let's just say it's uplifting. Thanks a lot, Steven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: And now the spiel. Michael Cohen once more talking to prosecutors and the revelation is quite damning, it would seem, to Donald Trump. This time, the former fixer, who's currently described as a weak person by the president, wasn't talking about campaign finance violations for paying off porn actresses. He was making disclosure about Trump's Russia denials, namely that he, Michael Cohen, gave the false impression that the Trump organization's hoped for Moscow project ended quote, I'm quoting from the indictment, quoted before the Iowa caucuses and the very first primary. In fact, it turns out, Cohen testified, that Trump Inc. was still very much in the Moscow real estate game during the campaign. The Russians were still talking to Cohen about Trump's business and Cohen was talking to Trump about Russian business after Trump had actually wrapped up the nomination. In fact, it was right about the time that Trump tweeted this out. For the record, I have zero investments in Russia. Not for lack of trying. So speaking before he flew off to the G20 summit in Argentina, Trump had this to say about Cohen, and I'm going to break into his comments to offer some insights and clarifications.
2: He put out a statement talking about a project, which was essentially, I guess, more or less of an option that we were looking at in Moscow, everybody.
0: Remember, Trump's fans like him because of his straight talk and that he tells it like it is. And yet when it comes to Moscow dealings, essentially, I guess, more or less an option. Those are four qualifiers. When Trump wades in to define truth in the absence of an alternative narrative, as led by Robert Mueller, we get that 2016 straight declarative statement that I read to you. For the record, I have zero, which is in all caps, investments in Russia. Now that is clear. But once these actual facts come out, He is quite unclear. And by the way, that statement might actually contribute to giving him a record. Trump went on to talk about the timing of this, I guess, more or less Moscow project.
2: It was during uh, the early part of 16
0: and I guess even before that. Yes, but also after the early part of 16, meaning it was the middle of 16. It was during that period of 16 when you were the nominee and you were denying investments in Russia, that, that part of 16. Trump went on.
2: I didn't do the project. I decided not to do the project, so I didn't do it.
0: Wait, I'm confused. Are you talking about doing a project?
2: So we're not talking about doing a project. We're talking about not doing a project.
0: Wait, now we're talking about what Michael Cohen's doing? I thought you were talking about what you were not doing. Sorry, sorry, I interrupted you, Mr. President. So you'll have to put it into legal terms. And really, who's better at translating things into precise terms than our president?
2: And he's a weak person. And by being weak, unlike other people that you watch.
0: Okay, here I'd like to tell you that I think he means Paul Manafort and Jerome Corsi. Those are the others who aren't singing to Mueller, who are strong, and who I believe right here with those words, Trump is implicitly offering a pardon to. He's saying he'll do the pardon. The pardon will be done. It's not a thing that won't be done in terms of pardons.
2: So he's lying about a project that everybody knew about. I mean, we were very open with it. We were...
0: So he's lying by saying that you were working on a project that you're now saying that everyone knows you were working on and that you were open with. So wait, how is that lying? Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, had his own theory as to why special prosecutor Mueller might weigh in now, quote, it is hardly coincidental that the special counsel once again files a charge just as the president is leaving for a meeting with world leaders at the G20 summit in Argentina. Giuliani went on to note that Mueller also unsealed charges before the president left for the Helsinki summit, where he stood by Putin figuratively and literally and seriously and quite shamefully. Aha, aha. But realize Mueller has filed charges against 33 individuals and Trump has taken nine overseas trips. So it's going to be pretty hard not to find some overlap. What I did was I looked at the record and I found a much stronger coalition. It's not with Mueller charges or Mueller indictments and Trump overseas trips. It is with Mueller charges and Trump golf outings. On October 27th, 2017, Mueller filed charges against Paul Manafort and Rick Gates. The next day, October 28th, 2017, Trump golfed at the Trump National Course in Potomac Falls, Virginia. Also in 2017, November 24th, Trump golfs with Tiger Woods. November 25th, Trump golfs with Jack Nicholas. November 30th, Mueller charges Michael Flynn with making false statements. Now to 2018, February 16th of this year, Mueller charged lawyer Alex Van Der Zwan with making false statements. Mueller also charged 13 Russian nationals with election interference. And then on February 19th, Trump golfed at his course in West Palm Beach. So here's the thing when there are a raft of indictments, when there is a drip, drip, drip of charges from the prosecutor, when there are so many dirty people constituting that drip, 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 and when your client, Mr. Giuliani, has an abiding dedication to his golf game, the putt, putt, putt of golf versus the drip, drip, drip of indictments, there's going to be some correlation. I actually do not put too much stock into it. Sometimes in these matters, the timing doesn't really seem suspicious other times it really really does and that's it for today's show we now present to you in verbatim form a text interaction among the members of the gist staff today 951 a.m PRBnMA hey I've got some
1: neck pain and I'm looking to visit my masseuse at one today. I'll be working from home this morning and coming in at 2.30, 2.45, as long as that's okay with you both. Sure. You're
0: now Daniel Schrader. Of course. Thumbs up. Be aware, this will be mentioned in the credits.
1: Oh, I hope so. It's from Poor Form Jumping Jacks, if that helps the writing. In my defense, they were power jumping jacks. Look them up.
0: Ask your masseuse if frantically digging a larger hole in this matter is good for your neck.
1: A.K.A. No mouth
0: emoji. LOLOL. this'll be fun. T.J. Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. She put in a full day despite rolfing to combat a nasty injury incurred during a spirited session of Tournament Red Rover. The music you heard after our interview today was made by Ronald Jenkins. The gist, we're looking forward to seeing our chiropodist to counteract the turf toe we got during the World Series of Duck, Duck, Goose. Oomperoo, Peru. and thanks for listening.